Good morning, church. How are you today? Okay. Okay, we'll take it. That's all right. I'm just glad that you all made it safely here on your canoes this morning. We want to say uh, welcome to all of you, uh, also uh, everyone at all of our campuses, and if you're listening online, we are glad that you guys are here. Uh, today we are uh, continuing on as we just started in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, as you just saw, uh, the series called Inspired. Uh, and I love uh, this section of Scripture, very, very famous section of Scripture, these three chapters in the book of Matthew. Uh, one of the things that I love about this particular section of Scripture, it is that it is uh, filled with these uh, deep and profound truths that touch all of us, and yet it is also very simple at the same time. And don't we seem to find that oftentimes in life? The things that are the most profound also have the greatest simplicity. Think um, back when you were a kid and you memorized verses like John 3.16 and you sing uh, songs like This Little Light of Mine. And yet as you get older, we find that things are often more complex or deeper, deeper than they were through the eyes of a child, right? And yet... Sometimes, the further and further we go, we find ourselves right back at that same point of profound simplicity where we started. Uh, there was a guy named Karl Barth, who was a very famous theologian in the uh, 1900s. Actually, many people would call him the greatest theological mind of this century. But a very famous guy, uh, he uh, had you know, a huge list of degrees, and he taught at a number of different places all through Europe. He, he spoke all sorts of places. He'd published a, a great number of works, and was just very highly respected uh, and sought out for his theological opinions. Well, in 1962, he was on a visit to America, and he was asked by somebody, he said, of, of all the things that you've learned, of all of your, your study and, and, and everything that you've taught and, and the millions of words that you have published, if you could take all of it, if you could, if you could summarize that all somehow, how would you do that? And so Karl Barth thought about that for a moment, and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Sometimes it's the simplest things that mean the most, right? So today, uh, because of that, and in light of our topic today, I want to try something a, a, a little bit different. We're all, I know we just got done with our, uh, our worship time, but we're going to sing a little song together. Can we, can we do this? Okay, now we're, the band's not going to come back out, it's just voices, so if you can sing harmony, now's your time to shine, uh, but we're going to all do this as a church together. You don't have to stand or anything, you can sit right where you're at, but uh, please sing out really big and please sing out really loud or else this is going to be very awkward for me, so I need you all to participate. We're going to sing that song, This Little Light of Mine, okay, just the one verse. Can we do this? Can we do this? Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Again, you, you've got to sing or this is going to be painful, so I need you to join me. Ready? Here we go. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You can do better, come on. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Very good. Good job, guys. That was great. And most of you sounded fantastic. Uh, we are uh, going to be in a section of Scripture where that actual song came from, where that was inspired from in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, as we started last week, uh, Matt kicked us off with the, with the Beatitudes. Uh, and this, like I said, this is a very famous section of Scripture. 
Actually, these three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, one of the reasons it's famous is this is the largest unbroken chunk of red letters that we have in the Bible. This is like the, the biggest section of teaching that we have from Jesus. And so it's a very, very famous passage. In fact, many people will say that this is the greatest sermon ever preached. And if I'm honest, I would say that I probably agree with that. But for a whole lot of reasons, uh, it could be called the greatest sermon ever preached because it's filled with these uh, rich and profound and deep but yet simple truths. Uh, or, or it could also be uh, called the greatest sermon ever preached uh, because it ran countercultural to everything that his listeners knew, everything that they thought they knew about God. It ran countercultural to all of that. Or perhaps it was because, as it says at the end of this sermon, that they had never heard anyone ever teach the way that Jesus taught. Perhaps it was called the greatest sermon ever because it was only 17 minutes long. But for whatever reason, for many reasons, it was a joke. You can laugh at Some of you guys got that. And I apologize. Today will not be the greatest sermon ever. But uh, we're going to still dive into this section of Scripture. And uh, there's a lot that we can learn from these three chapters uh, of the uh, Bible. And so uh, today, if you would, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to dive in right there. Now again, uh, last week Matt kicked us off uh, with this first section, a famous section called the Beatitudes. Um, and now from this section, uh, Jesus is giving us uh, basically these instructions for a, uh, a different kind of citizen, for a different kind of kingdom like Matt talked about. And a lot of people, um, it can be really easy to get this idea from the Beatitudes section. Uh, and a lot of people have done that and taken it to mean that we're supposed to be uh, kind of separate or secluded from the rest of society. Uh, that we're supposed to be kind of isolated from uh, all the rest of culture. And it's not too hard to think that it doesn't seem like too much of a stretch when you think about the things that Jesus said. Remember he said, blessed are the, uh, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, are the meek. Uh, uh, blessed are those who, who mourn. Blessed are you when people persecute you. This, this list of eight different things, and so it's not, uh, it's not too crazy uh, to think that people would assume that they're supposed to be separated, kind of isolated, sort of on the fringe of society, on the outskirts, and yet we'll find out today that that is actually very, very far from what Jesus had in mind. And so Jesus is going to use a couple of different illustrations in his teaching here, as Jesus often does. Uh, Jesus loves to use illustrations and parables, right? He'll say things like, the kingdom of God is, uh, uh, well, it's like, a, it's like a man who went on a journey. Uh, or the kingdom of God, uh, um, it's, like a, it's like a mustard seed. And so Jesus loves to use illustrations. And so today, he's going to use two very different examples to answer one very big question, and that is this. What is our purpose as disciples. And so we're going to dive in here today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. We're just going to go through these four short verses, and um, we'll just take them in turn. But he starts out uh, just with this one verse in Matthew five thirteen, and Jesus says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Or maybe a, a better translation would be, y'all are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, what does Jesus mean 
when he calls us salt. Have you ever been called salty? Now, that would mean a whole lot different uh, thing today than what Jesus mean, meant in his time. There's a good chance that if you are under 30 years old, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a decent chance that you're, if you're over 30 years old, you may not know what I'm talking about. But today, if someone were to call you salty, it kind of means that you're you know, bitter or frustrated or irritated, angry, something along those lines. But that's not at all what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. So, what did he mean? Well, it can be a little bit tough to know for sure. And a lot of people have looked at that example and they've said, well, I think maybe he means this, or I think maybe he means that. But it can be a little bit difficult to know for sure exactly what Jesus meant because salt had so many different uses. It had a, a number of different uses, as it still does today. Uh, for instance, uh, one of the biggest uses that they had for it, especially in that time, was to preserve things. Picture this, you just got back from your semi-annual trip to Reesers for their big meat sale, and you come home and all of a sudden you find out that your refrigerator is not working or you have no electricity. Oh my goodness, what do I do? Because you've got this big, huge stash of pork and beef and you know whatever it is that you like to get at your house, and now all of a sudden you've got no way to keep it. Well, back in those days, they didn't have electricity, so what would they do? You know, when they bring in these big, huge catches of fish or, or have all this kind of food and no way to preserve it, well, if you cover it in salt and you use salt, that was how they were able to preserve their food. It, it saved their food. I think we could probably preach on that for a little while. But it had a number of different uses as well. Uh, of course, the most common one that we think about is that salt enhances flavor, right? It, it, it doesn't actually change the flavor, but it draws out the natural flavor of what is actually there. And we could probably talk for a while about that as well. Uh, salt also uh, creates thirst. It makes one thirsty for water, and you bet we could use that as a good illustration for this sermon. Uh, but there's just so many different uses. They actually identified 11 different uses that they had for salt. And we use it for a number of things today still, right? We use it for all of those reasons, but we also, uh, you know, with the uh, ice storms that we get here in Oklahoma, you might take salt and go spread it around on your, on your sidewalk, on your driveway, whatever, to help keep it safe. Or salt can be used, like, for the curing process to help meats uh, stay, uh, keep good for a long, long time. Salt just has a whole lot of different uses, uh, but... I kind of wonder, maybe, maybe that's actually the point. That salt is incredibly useful. Uh, a couple of months ago, uh, I went into the kitchen. My, my wife and I, we both like to cook, and so actually in our house, we fight over who gets to cook. It's kind of strange, but uh, so one day we were cooking, and I don't even remember what I was making at all, but uh, I reached into the cabinet to uh, find a couple of seasonings that I was looking for. I don't remember, you know, whether it was garlic or cumin or something, whatever it was, but I was looking in there, and, and I couldn't find what I was looking for, so I'm digging around, you know, it's supposed to be this nice, you know, organized system with a lazy Susan. It never works out, um, but I'm digging around, I'm trying to find out the seasoning I'm looking for, and I'm not finding it. So I reach into the very, very back, and I pull out this thing, and uh, I look at it, and I realize that I'm holding uh, this. And I don't know if you can see it up on the uh, screen very well, but what I'm holding is a, uh, a small little shaker of something called cream of tartare. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever, we'll start here, how many of you have ever heard of cream of tartare by a show of hands. Okay, 
Now, also by a show of hands, how many of you have any idea why you would use cream of tartar? A bunch of ladies. Okay, hey, Jay, good job, a boy. Okay, well, for those of you who raised your hand on the uh, second one, you are much smarter than me. I had absolutely no idea what this was for, and so I, I went to Laura. I asked her. I said, "Babe, what, uh, what exactly is this? Like, I've never used it. I've never even seen you using it before." And she kind of laughed and she said, "Oh, yeah, I think I bought that like a, a year or two ago, something like that. There was some recipe that I needed it for, and so I bought it. And then after that, apparently, we've used it for nothing else, uh, and it went uh, to the very back of the cupboard where cream of tartar and other useless things go to die. And so I haven't seen it uh, since then this whole time. But how many of you know what this is? You don't even have to read it. Everybody knows what this is, right? It's salt. In fact, uh, for the most part, most of us don't have to reach even into our cupboards to get this. Why? Because in most houses, it sits out always on the kitchen table. Why? Because we use salt for everything. Salt is very useful. In fact, that's the real value of salt, is that it is so incredibly useful. Uh, there was a guy named Pliny the Elder, who many of you probably heard of. Uh, he was a historian and a philosopher. And a few decades, just a few decades after Jesus would preach this sermon, he would actually write in one of, one of his works. He said, there is nothing more useful than salt and sunshine. So maybe it's no coincidence that Jesus here chose to refer to his followers as salt and light. See, salt was considered one of the absolute basic necessities of life in their time. I think that the uh, NLT actually captures uh, this verse well. It translates it this way. It says that you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? But it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. So maybe the question for ourselves today is, are we being useful? Are we actually serving some purpose as followers of Jesus? Because I'll be honest, church, especially in Midwestern Bible Belt in Owasso, Oklahoma, there's a church on every corner, and sometimes what we deal a little bit more with is, is apathy, and, and we can kind of, oh, well, you know, I'll just, I'll get a little bit of Jesus there, and I'll get a little bit of Jesus there, and whatever, and we kind of have this uh, consumer mentality when it comes to our faith. Well, well what, can I, what can I get out of this? Oh, what can I get out of that sermon? What can, I, what can I get out of this church? And yet, it seems to me that Jesus seems to say that his disciples aren't looking for what they can get out of things, but what they can give. Are you useful? Are you being productive as a follower of Jesus? But the other thing is this begs the question, so how does salt lose its flavor? Because I read a passage like that and it kind of makes me, makes me a little nervous, you know, it's one of those gut check passages in scripture, like, oh, you know, am I just gonna be thrown out? Like, like am I being useful? Or, or how would one lose, its, how would I lose my flavor as salt? And that's kind of the, the funny thing is it really can't. Salt as salt doesn't really lose its flavor. In fact, uh, they've discovered that salt or sodium chloride, that NaCl for all of you science 
people out there, um, is actually like, it's one of the most stable uh, compounds that we have on Earth. It loves to just hang out and be its own thing and do its own thing. So uh, it doesn't really change. It can't, real true salt can't actually lose its flavor. So, like, is Jesus crazy then? Like when he says, oh, salt loses its saltiness, or maybe is he just not educated? Did he not have as good a schooling as, you know, you and I do today? Like, like does Jesus really understand what he's saying, or, or is he just totally missing it? Well, no, I don't think so. Uh, because, you see, especially in their time, um, a lot of the salt that they got came from places like the Dead Sea, which is still around today and still famous for the same thing. The Dead Sea is like really, really uh, rich and dense with all these minerals and stuff, uh, especially including salt, but a, a number of other minerals as well. And so a lot of times the way they'd get their salt is they'd harvest it from the Dead Sea, um, or they'd take the water, and after it all evaporated, they were left with uh, a bunch of minerals, much of which was salt, much of which uh, wasn't, but kind of looked like salt. And so if you gathered all of this over time because of heat or rain or moisture or something like that, the salt could dissolve and erode away, and you were left with something that maybe looked like salt but wasn't exactly salt because it had these other chemicals and minerals in it. Uh, so uh, salt itself uh, can't really be changed, but you can pollute it. Do you think that has any relevance for us today? Uh, so, so many times, uh, especially in our culture when we're bombarded with all sorts of messages from so many places, uh, we don't really uh, think to filter the things that we're putting in our life or the things that we're doing. And, and we kind of treat our own faith like, uh, well, you know, what's just a, a little bit of sin here and there? What's a, what's a little bit of this, you know, garbage? Once in a while, it's not that big of a deal, right? You know, is it, is it really that big of a deal if I, if I speak like this once in a while? Is it really that big of a deal if I, if I drink a little too much, you know, just on occasion? Is it really, you know, does it really matter if I, if I flirt a little too much with that guy or that girl at the office? I mean, no harm, no foul, right? In fact, didn't, didn't you know, Jesus die for all that and take care of all that? So, like, you know, shouldn't all that stuff just be kind of, it's in the past, it's done, it's over? But if we've learned anything from the Beatitudes, is that we are called to live differently. We're a different kind of citizen in a different kind of kingdom and we're called the salt of the earth. But Jesus uses a different metaphor to help paint the bigger picture. He goes on in Matthew 5 with uh, verse 14 and 15, and he says this, you or y'all are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people uh, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. When I was in college, my first semester, uh, I went on a little road trip of sorts with a friend of mine named Carl. Now, Carl was a senior, but for some reason we uh, connected really well and uh, went on a couple of trips with him. Well, one time uh, he was planning on going back home for the weekend, and he lived in Amarillo, Texas. And he said, hey, Jared, you want to come with me? And uh, I was a you know, first semester freshman in college. I had absolutely nothing to do, so I said, sure. So we hopped in my truck, and we made the long drive from Joplin, Missouri, out to Amarillo, Texas. And as you get out to Amarillo, if you've ever made that drive on I-40, as you get out there, that last leg of the trip is like, 
almost as bad as driving through western Kansas. I apologize if you're from Amarillo or western Kansas, but it's just long and it's, and it's difficult. But we're going out there, and it's a long trip, so um, as we get out there, we're on the last leg of the trip, and it's already evening, the sun's gone down, and so it's dark. An interesting thing, as we're getting a little bit closer, you know, I haven't been out there in a long time, and uh, so I, I look out, and I can see up in the, in the distance, it's, again, it's dark out there, but I can see in the distance uh, the lights of some town. And I looked down at our time and where we expected to be there, and it didn't match up. So I said, I said what is it, Carl, what's that, what's that city up there? Because, uh, you know, you see a bunch of city lights. And he said, oh, that's, that's Amarillo. And I thought, well, great. We must be, like, making really good time here because I can tell it's, you know, it's pretty far away, but I can see it. So it must be, you know, we must be 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes out, something like that. And he said, no, we got uh, oh, probably about another hour or so. No, we don't. Sure enough, almost to the minute, an hour later, we roll into his driveway because you can see so far that you could not miss the lights of the city. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And instantly, as Jesus gives this metaphor to his disciples, they are going to think, ah, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, this city up on a hill that's, that's the, the city of God. This is the city where God dwells. This is the beacon of light and hope to the world. And Jesus says, no, you, you are the light of the world. Now, the interesting thing about light is that you can't miss it. It stands out. Uh, now, today we still have uh, street lights and city lights and all kinds of ambient lights and things that, you know, uh, cover up the darkness. Um, or even in uh, a room like this, uh, one bulb here, I'm really glad that that was actually plugged in, uh, one bulb here, uh, you know, can get lost in the whole mix. I mean, if you look up, there's all sorts of lights. There's uh, these funny can light things, you know, around. There's, there's all sorts of uh, lights in here. And so one bulb could uh, pretty easily get drowned out in the mix of all these lights. Um, but that wasn't the case in their day. And, and, and let's just say, uh, what, if that, uh, uh, what if that actually weren't uh, true? What if, what if this room actually instead were filled with uh, darkness? See, the darkness can be kind of a lonely place. In fact, darkness is oftentimes used as a metaphor for sin or for people who don't know God. But even in darkness, a small light can make a pretty big difference. You see, light stands out in the darkness, and darkness and light cannot exist together. Uh, and light reveals the truth that is already there. Is Jesus' point becoming a little bit more clear to us now? We can bring the lights back up. Uh, see, light is incredibly useful. But in order to serve its purpose, it has to shine into the dark. And church, you are the light of the world. We reveal the truth, showing the path in front of us. But you know, uh, it's funny, there are a couple of ways that you can make light useless. Uh, in fact, Jesus talks about one of them there. He says that nobody uh, lights a lamp and hides it under a bowl or hides it with darkness. But we can make light useless by covering it up with the darkness. So, so let me ask you this. Um, how, how are you living? 
or maybe I should ask a more specific question. Um, how about this? Do the people around you at your jobs, at your school, at your wherever it is, to the places that you go, do the people, the people around you, the people that know you, do they know that you're a believer, that you're a follower of Jesus? And if not, why not? And I think sometimes maybe uh, we're, we're afraid, perhaps, uh, because, oh, well, if they know that I'm a Christian, then, uh, but I'm not perfect, and I've got all these problems, so they're going to look at me, and they're going to see all this, you know, they're going to see all the darkness amongst my light, and, and I, I don't know if I can do that. Or, or sometimes, this is my favorite, sometimes we th- say things like, well, if I'm going to shine a light into their world, if I'm going to be an influence on them, if I'm going to shine a light in the darkness, first I've got uh, I've to be like them. You know, I've, they've got to accept me as one of their own. I've got I've to fit in with people so, so then that they can, uh, they can like me, and then I'll be, able to, I'll be able to share the message of truth with them. But if we stop and think about that, do we ever realize how actually uh, absurd that really sounds? I mean, think about that. That's, that's like saying, you know, well, I work at a, you know, at a fire station or at, a, uh, you know, at the office or, you know, work at an at a auto mechanic or, or something like that, and there's all these other people, but, but I need to influence them for Jesus, so I know what I'll do. I'm going to fit in with, I'm going to win their favor, right? And so I may once in a while have to use some, you know, some uh, obscene, uh, you know, talking or, or maybe tell a few dirty jokes here or there or, or use some foul language, stuff like that. But then, but then they're going to like me and they'll accept me as one of their own. And then I'll be able to tell them how they can live a completely new kind of life where they don't have to have uh, obscene talking and, and dirty jokes and, and foul language, like, like, that makes no sense. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus saying something like that? Like, oh, well, I need to fit in with them so that I can, I can then, you know, bring the light into their world. But Jesus doesn't say that you're going to fit in. Jesus says that you will stand out. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, it says, what do righteousness and wickedness even have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with the darkness. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not to shine our light to go into the darkness and shine our light. What that means is that we cannot be light and darkness at the same time. See, we are called out of the darkness, and if we aren't standing out in the world, then we need to take off the veil and let our light shine. One commentator writes that a disciple of the kingdom who isn't living like a disciple of the kingdom is worth about as much as tasteless salt an invisible light. Church, we've got to let our light shine. Uh, the other way that we can make light useless is to hide it within all the other lights. You know, if there's a thousand candles in a room, one doesn't make a whole lot of difference. And sometimes we as a church, and, and believe me, I get this, I understand this, but sometimes we as a church have the temptation to withdraw but no, the light does no good unless it goes and shines in the darkness. See, we need to be visible in our community, not just as people who are doing good deeds, but as people who offer the truth and the hope of Jesus Christ, showing that there is something better. I love how it says in Philippians chapter 2, it says that we are to become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So let your light shine. But what does all this mean? So, okay, we're supposed to be salt and we're supposed to be light, and I get that we're supposed to be useful, but, but to what end? To, to what 
purpose. What is our purpose as disciples? And I think Jesus answers that in the final verse there in this section in 5.16. He says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what is Jesus getting at? It all comes down to this. You are made to reflect the glory of God. You are made to reflect the glory of God. And church, that is our entire purpose, is to show God's glory to a world that needs it. That's why it says throughout Scripture that we are to put on Christ because we are revealing His glory. And this isn't even like some new concept that Jesus all of a sudden just came up with on the spot. Like this is how God intended from the very beginning. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and you see those familiar words when God created everything and He made the heavens and the earth and everything that's in it and all of these things were good and then He made us, you and me, and it said that God made man in His own, what? Image. In the image of God, he created them. You see, we are made to be a reflection of God's glory. So when somebody looks at me, uh, they don't see Jared. They should see a little picture of Christ, and if they don't, then I am doing something wrong. And that's exactly what salt and light do. That's their, their whole entire purpose. Have you ever gone to like a museum or an art gallery or something like that and admired the lighting? You know, you walk in and, oh, these are pretty nice. Is that fluorescent? Or No, we don't do that. That's not what we go there for. But the lights are there for a purpose. They are there to reveal the work of the master's. And in the same way, uh, salt does the same thing. We, you don't go to a restaurant and go, man, this is really, really good salt. No. Nobody says that. But what does salt do? Salt draws out the flavor that is already there. But when you use too much salt, it can get in the way. It can ruin everything, and so let me ask you this follow-up question. Um, are you living for your own glory? Or are you living for God's glory? Uh, maybe uh, here's a better question. Um, can you do something good without tweeting about it? Oh, whenever, whenever you do stuff good for another person, do you, do you have to tell somebody about it or do you have to post it on Facebook so you can see how many likes you can get or so everybody can know what a wonderful person that you are? Or can you do that because you are simply a follower of Jesus living the way that God has called you to live? No, we don't live for our own glory. But we bear the name of Jesus. In fact, our name Christian literally means little Christ. We bear the name of Jesus so that when others see us in, others see his reflection in us, all of the earth will shout his praises. And I think that when we can understand how God has created everything in that way, and when we can see ourselves, our, uh, us as disciples, in that light, with that purpose as God intended it to be, then I think maybe we can understand and grasp a little bit better the words of Paul where he writes in 2 Corinthians this. He says, So all of us who have had that veil removed 
can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And so, we end up right where we started. There is a dark world out there. And so, church, go and reflect the light of Christ and let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus who is a light in the darkness. Father, I uh, pray right now for us, uh, your congregation here, that, God, that somehow you can use us to shine a light of hope and love and joy and truth and peace into a world that has none of those things, Father. Father, thank you for showing us the light and allow us to live with that purpose in mind as you have created us to be. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and it is his name that everybody said. Amen.